If I'm here, can everybody see? Maybe it's best that I'm here. Now, you'll need a copy of your Bible. I really do count this a privilege to bring a charge to you as you graduate from high school. And I'm reading from the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation with an emphasis on verse 7. But so that we see the context, I believe it is appropriate that we read beginning at verse 1 of chapter 14. Since it's our habit to stand, why don't we stand? The word of the Lord. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins, These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, this is God's word, but it is not necessary that we understand all of the details in this chapter in order for a charge to be made to you this evening. What needs to be seen is that this 14th chapter is a chapter that anticipates the judgment that is to come. And in the midst of that judgment that is promised, there also is the presentation, the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that call is found in verse 7 in which we read that there are three elements to be underscored in this presentation. One of these angels with a loud voice says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So it's very clear, isn't it? Fear God, give glory to him, worship him. Those are the three elements of the angelic presentation. Now, to use the term fear in the context of judgment means that if there is any one of you that is not a believer in Jesus Christ, it should strike terror into your heart. You understand that, don't you? 
that when we speak of the fear of God for the unbeliever, one who has not taken refuge in Christ and his blood atonement on the cross, that person needs to tremble before the throne. That person needs now to understand that he must be born again. And if he is not born again, then this charge, all that is said to you, because I'm addressing you as Christian young people, but if there is one, two, anyone who is not a Christian young person that is hearing this charge, this is your charge to come in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe in him. Because you see, the Bible teaches that there will be wheat and tares until Jesus comes again within the context of the visible church, that only God knows the heart. And there are professors of faith in Jesus Christ that are not possessors of faith in Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I want to begin by saying that if you are an unbeliever, the text should strike terror into your heart and it calls you to faith in Christ. But if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I'm hopeful that all of you are, if that is the case, then when we hear the angel saying, fear God, it means reverential awe. It means something totally different. You see, the curse of the law, as we've been preaching on Sunday mornings, has been removed, and there is now this opportunity for us to serve God out of reverential awe. It is, it is a fear, John Murray says, that constrains adoration and love. And so when we say, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are to fear God, we mean adoration, we mean love, we mean awe, we mean reverence, we mean honor, we mean worship, all of those things that tend to be neglected, I'm sorry to say, in modern evangelicalism today are the things that actually are most important and should be underscored in the church and in your Christian lives. This means living a God-centered life. The whole of the Christian life is a practice of godliness, and only the believer can practice godliness. You know this passage, I'm sure, from Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and following. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, that is to say, those who are his special possession, zealous of good works. And so, the goal of Pastor McDonald, the goal of Adam, the goal of this pastor, and all of the years of your upbringing here, and as we've been teaching you theology, and if you've taken those opportunities, they have been many, our goal has been to help you know Jesus Christ and to live a godly life. And therefore, the goal of this charge right now is to help you to know Jesus Christ and to live a godly life. Our goal then is to develop within your hearts that old-fashioned concept of what is called piety. Now, I know that the word piety is a word that, that many think, um, think just uh, shouldn't be used. It has a negative connotation, but piety is a beautiful word. And the word piety actually means the mingling of love with the fear of God. And so we want you to be pious, genuinely pious. Don't be afraid to be different. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are different. <laughs> You've been saved from sin. You're set apart. You're holy. 
Now that being the case, how does it show? Well, the angel said, fear God. But he also said, give glory to him in verse seven. That's the next thing he says, give glory to him. Young people, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. John Owen put it this way, our communion with God consists in his communication of himself unto us with our return unto him of that which he requires and accepts, flowing from that union which is in Christ Jesus that we have with him. Now the point of all of this is giving glory to God can only happen in the context of communion with Jesus Christ. It's only as you are drawing the, the, the life-giving sap it is only as you are drinking the life-giving water. It is only as you, are, as you are losing yourself in wonder, love, and praise and learning what it means to be upon your knees and fellowshipping with God. It is only in this way that you can begin to learn how to give glory to God. One way that you know that this is happening is that there will be less emphasis on you and more emphasis on the Lord. There will be less emphasis on you and more care and concern for others around you because of your emphasis upon the Lord. And so in a few moments, I'm going to give you a list of things to be watchful about and to cultivate in your life. But if it does not flow out of union with Christ, if it does not flow out of love, his love to you and your love to him in return, if it is not from communion with Christ, then it will just be artificial. So he says, fear God, give glory to him, and worship. Now, recently you heard the sermon on the first two commandments, and I'm not going to repeat those to you. But you know that worship is central, absolutely fundamental, and that there is so much that will compete with the worship of the Lord. There are all sorts of things I don't have to enumerate that are going to be pulling you the desire of the world to have you rather than your heart being the Lord's and clinging to the Lord. So fear God, give glory to him, and worship him. Now with those things in mind, I want to be a little bit more specific in bringing a list of things to you. And lists are important because these are the things that at least this pastor thinks are important and would want you to take with you. This is the only opportunity I will have to give this kind of charge. And so this list is what I think is extraordinarily important for you to take into your Christian living. So here it is, <clears throat> in light of fearing God, giving glory to him and worshiping him, I want to encourage you to cultivate reverence for the Holy Scriptures. Now some of you are going to be sitting in classes in university settings in which you'll be told that the Bible is, is uh, riddled with errors and all of that kind of nonsense. No, no, it is trustworthy and it is authoritative. And not only is it trustworthy and authoritative, how often have you heard this pastor say from the pulpit that life without the word of God is absurd? I will tell you that's true. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. If you go your own way rather than the way of Holy Scripture, you will find death, not life. If you go the way of Holy Scripture, it will be hard, it will be difficult, but it will be rewarding. You will commune with God and you will live. And so I say to you, reverence Holy Scripture. And then more specifically, worship in private and in public. Worship in private and in public. Now you know that the ancient Romans were poisoned by water that was drunk from lead pipes. So the water was fine, but the conduit was not. 
So keep the conduit of the gospel, your heart, and the water of the gospel, the water of life, compatible. You need clean water, that comes from the Lord. You need a clean heart, that also comes from the Lord. Because if your heart is receiving the gospel, well, actually not receiving the gospel because it's clogged and dirty and because it poisons, poisons the water that's being received and it twists scripture, then you're going to find that uh, it is not compatible with the message that is to be received. So relish sound, biblical, reverent worship, um, especially the preaching of the word, which is fundamental uh, to the Christian's growth. So public and private worship. If it's public worship, be there in the morning, be there in the evening. If there's a Wednesday night, be there on Wednesday night if, if, if it is providentially possible. Never miss. Learn how to prepare for it by spending time with God and opening your heart and asking him to help you to know how to prepare for that worship service that is coming up. I cannot stress this enough. Some of you think that I stress it too much maybe, but I, I really don't. It cannot be stressed too much. Morning and evening worship. Next week, we'll look at the fourth commandment and we'll be saying more about that. And you'll be here, right, to hear that unless providentially hindered. But within that, having said that about the word and about public worship and so forth, I want to underscore the place of the Lord's table in the Christian's life. Now, this is strange and mysterious. I can't tell you how this works. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. No more than I can tell you how the Holy Spirit takes the word and applies it to the heart can I tell you how he takes simple elements of bread and wine and applies it to the heart as we receive Jesus Christ in that sacrament. The bread remains bread, the wine remain, remains wine, but the point is that the Lord has ordained this for the growth of a Christian. Now, if some of you have not yet taken that step, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you have not taken that step to become communing members, I urge you, if there's, unless there's some reason that we need to deal with pastorally that you have not done that, you need to understand how important it is. And let that Lord's table help to keep you um, keep you in the way, to keep you faithful. Let it help you keep short accounts before the Lord. Uh, God's appointed means for your growth in grace, word, sacrament, and prayer. Keep those priorities. Let me also say, soon you will not be in your home. You will be off on your own. You'll be making certain decisions on your own. Let me underscore how important it is for you to have careful Sabbath observance. And by careful Sabbath observance, I don't only mean being there in morning and evening worship. I mean the whole day. The whole day is the Lord's day. So develop a conscience before God about honoring the entire day for his worship and his service. Let me say something else, because this is my list, and I think it's an important thing to say. Be psalm-oriented. One of the characteristics of being reformed historically is that we stress the psalms. And if you go to the psalm, you will find, indeed, the anatomy of the soul. You will find all of those things that, that, uh, that are found in the Psalter that will relate to your emotional stresses. Uh, just be psalm-oriented as a characteristic of your commitment to the Reformed faith. I add this. Befriend people that are holier than you are. Befriend people that are more advanced in their Christian walk than you are. 
Be friendly to everybody, but be friends with few. Do you know what I mean by that? By a friend, I mean the person to whom you open your heart, the person with whom you share your deepest secrets. And so be friendly to all, have a warm and welcoming attitude to all, but be friends with few. And if you have friends that drag you down spiritually, they are not the friend for you. And if, if it means sitting down and telling them why, lovingly, you cannot continue that friendship, then do it. But make this a lifelong habit to have friends in your life who are more spiritually advanced than you are. I want to give you another word of counsel. And some of you are taking notes, and I'm glad, because it's a pretty long list, isn't it? I give you the counsel to read the solid, good, old writers, uh, because they've never been surpassed, and modern writers just don't touch them. So start with Thomas Watson or John Bunyan. They're easy to read. Nothing will more grow you in grace, aside from public worship and prayer, than being in these old puritanic writers. I urge you to do this. Also, people, people, young people, people of God, live for eternity. Because nominal Christianity is so incredibly dangerous. Nominal Christianity is not real Christianity. It's, it's duplicitous, it's dishonest. Be scrupulous about living quorum Deo, living in the face of God, living in the presence of God that results from living with eternity in your eye. Remember that you're being watched. You're being watched by the omniscient God and you're being watched by the world around you and others around you. And that calls you to a self-watch that is extraordinarily important, to watch your own life carefully. Paul told Timothy, the minister, watch your life and doctrine closely. Well, that's a minister, but you also should watch your life and doctrine closely. And the ultimate motive is that we want to please the one who redeemed us. Charles Spurgeon told the story, it must have been a newspaper article that you read, of a train that ceased working because of the flies that were in the grease boxes of the carriage wheels. Just little flies. You see my point, don't you? That a small defect that you know is there, a small, there are no small sins really, but what you consider to be a small thing that you allow to take root in your life may keep you from living for the glory of God may keep the carriage wheels from moving. Also, anchor your confidence and live out of the covenant of grace. Covenant theology means being God-conscious, living consciously before God as your Lord, but also as your friend and in the security of his plan and purpose for you. You might have heard this morning that I quoted from Isaiah 54, for the mountain shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on you. So it's tragic that covenant theology is so rare. It has rightly been called the very core and marrow of the gospel. So if you want to understand the Bible, you need to understand the covenant. If you want to understand what it means that God has a relationship with you, you need to understand the covenant and you need to understand and grow in your understanding of this very core and marrow of the gospel. Now I have another word or two for you. I want to look you right in the eye, so I'm coming down. You'll have to turn this one on. <laughs> Maybe it's already on. 
Um, <clears throat> I'm asking you to avoid, by all means, fits and starts. Do you know what that means? It's an old expression, fits and starts. On again, off again. That's what it means. Avoid, by all means, fits and starts. Okay? You start in Sunday morning worship, and then you cool off, and you begin to be sporadic. Or you've added Sunday evening worship, there you go for a while, and then all of a sudden it's not there anymore. Or you start a really good Bible reading plan or devotional life, and, and uh, rather than prioritize it, uh, you know, perhaps it's always texting, or perhaps it's, who knows, something is in the way, and you drop it off. On again, off again, that is not to weigh the way to grow as a Christian. It is the way to waste your Christian life. And I cannot tell you, am I not right, Pastor McDonald? Am I not right about this? That the people that we have worked with and known over the years that struggle the most are people who are fits and starter people. They are people who just will not be consistent. And if you have learned those habits, then replace them now while you're still young with godly habits that keep you in the way. Don't waste your Christian life is something you heard from Dr. Beakey just recently. So be different. If you've learned to live that way, unlearn it. And I cannot tell you the damage that is caused by living in this lifeless manner. Oh, if I could just get in your heart for a minute and turn on the switch to live consistently and faithfully rather than in fits and starts. Nothing I've said to you tonight will be so important as that because everything else depends on living that way. I hope you see. So replace this bad habit by the grace of God with burning and growing devotion to God. So in sum, what I'm saying to you is live theologically. And we're not people who think that theology is just a matter of the head. When I say live theologically, <clears throat> yeah, I'll fill your head with these things, but William Perkins, the first English Puritan, said, theology is the science of living blessedly forever. So that's what we're calling upon you to do. Now I want to return for a moment to those, that opening remark of the angel when he is unpacking the everlasting gospel in verse 7. It is fear God, fear God. John Brown, one of our Scots forefathers said, for the Christian, for the one who fears God, it matters little to them that the world, it matters little to them that the world frowns on them if he smiles, and it matters little to them that the world smiles if he frowns. Okay? So live life so that if the world frowns on you and God smiles on you, what does it matter? Live life in such a way that if God smiles on you or if he frowns on you, he loves you as, your, as his child, but sometimes fathers have to frown, don't they? Because they love. Then I want a father who says, not only am I accepted in Christ and justified, but I'm also being sanctified and living a life that prioritizes the glory of God in all things.
Well, I guess in a way that summarizes what you've heard here all these years. And what I've preached for 30 years here. So I wonder how many high school students remember the charge when they go on. So much counsel, so much advice. Well, these are your pastors speaking to you, all right? We're shepherds. We love you. We care about you. So young people, remember. Remember what's been said, all right? No fits and starts, but live for the glory of God. God bless you all.